Hello, welcome to the APAP podcast. Today we are talking about onboarding APPs into the ICU and joining me today as our expert on the content is Ms. Joanne Wozniak. And she is a PA who's been practicing for 18 years, um, mostly the last 15 years in critical care at Leahy Hospital Medical Center in the Metro Boston area. She has been the lead APP for pulmonary and critical care uh, in that area since 2017. Um, she has onboarded countless APPs and she and her group have come up with some great onboarding uh, plans. I know I've seen a couple lectures from um, your group at CHEST about onboarding and integrating APPs in the ICU. So I'm excited for her to bring us that content. Um, she um, uh, staffs a tertiary care facility 24 seven as well as two community hospital ICUs. Um, she's been serving as an interim co-director for advanced practice in the organization since um, 2022. She also works nationally with the CHEST organization and has helped develop um, uh, multi, a multidisciplinary um, team approach to critical care. Um, and that course has been very instrumental for a number of new APPs joining um, in the critical care field. So Joanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to, to chat with you today. Excellent. All right. So <laughs> tell me about your specific team unit um, uh, as far as how your onboarding process came about, like how was that developed? Yeah, I mean, it it has been years in the making and I would even venture to say we'll continue to change because as we have new graduates that come out, uh, everyone has different learning needs and everyone learns differently. Uh, back when I started 18 years ago, it has completely changed. Uh, trial by fire no longer exists and it needs to be a little bit more structured. Uh, so right now we have a team of 20 advanced practitioners ranging in experience from five months to 18, 19 years. Uh, so within that group, um, we've identified some key players that are great for onboarding. The team staffs a tertiary care facility, as you mentioned, and in that role, it's part of uh, rounding in the unit. So being a bedside rounding APP, but it also includes a triage role. So that, that that person on uh, sees all critical care consults uh, during the day, uh, Monday through Friday. And in that, that triage role, they're the first responder to rapid responses. Uh, the team actually does that role seven days a week. Uh, but in the triage role, they have to make the decisions of yes to the ICU, no to the ICU. So I'd venture to say that it's probably the hardest role we have to learn. Uh, and as part of our onboarding process, uh, like I said, it has changed over the years, but in the most recent iteration, depending on the years of experience of the new colleague coming in, we try to tailor their, their onboarding to that. We have certain expectations that are discussed up front. If it's a, an experienced colleague, you know, four weeks here, four weeks here, four weeks here with the expectation, they are up and running within three to four months. And what that expectation is, we also try to level set ahead of time, meaning the, the ideal expectation is you can take care of half of the tertiary care intensive care unit. You can go to the community hospitals, work one-on-one -on -one with an attending, and you can have some competency in triage. That role, because it takes so long in learning the politics of the hospital and the ins and outs, that expectation isn't right at the beginning, but the expectation is within you know six months to a year, you will be in that role fully. Does that include procedures as well? So procedures... Uh, we would like to say if you have never had procedures, 10 procedures, your, your, is our, is our number that we use. There's no way to get anyone off orientation and get 10 procedures. We just don't do as many procedures as we used to in critical care. 15 years ago, every patient we intubated, central line, arterial line, automatically. It was, it was, you know, the critical care bundle, uh, part yeah, of yeah. the set, you know, you get your 
chlorhexidine, your protonics were being intubated, and then you get a central line. Now, because of CLABS rates and recent data that's out there, we're just not lining people as much as we were. So it's it's not uh, feasible or not realistic to expect a brand new person or someone with some critical care experience, but maybe not procedural experience, to get enough to be off orientation within three to four uh, months. So I guess when I say off orientation, off orientation in a sense that you can work with someone else, have that support, and then continue to build your procedural experience. The ultimate ideal person off orientation, ready to go, is ready to train someone else, is someone that can round in our tertiary care unit, our community hospital, do the triage role independently, and staff our community hospital nights as the solo critical care provider for that hospital. So that is the ultimate role for, for our team. It's incredibly autonomous. Uh, and, and that is the expectation that I set with everybody that we hire, that that is where I want you to get. Based on where they are experience-wise, these are, I think, the milestones you should be hitting and, and the duration it should take you to get there. Some people go through it very fast. Some need a little bit more time. How, what's the soonest you reevaluate somebody? So I, we reevaluate about, I would say, every four to six weeks. Um, I, I'd like to say, like clockwork, we're doing evaluations, um, but it, it doesn't always happen. Schedules don't align. I like to do that in person. I've had to do some feedback over the phone, and it, it's just not the same as when you work with someone and, and look at someone in, in person and, hey, this is what's working great. These are some areas for opportunity. Um, this is what I'd like to, for you to work on in the next couple of weeks. Um, we are, we get feedback from our attending colleagues, AP colleagues, nursing colleagues prior to plan meeting and, and giving evaluation so I can get a well-rounded well, well uh, idea of where that person is in their orientation process. Okay. So um, did your, this whole, I mean, has Leahy, your facility always had this type of onboarding for other disciplines and then brought it to their APP service or... You know, how, do you know ex exactly how that came about? It started about 15 years ago. We had one advanced practitioner uh, who was hired for the pulmonary critical care division to staff a step-down unit. And that provider was exceptional. And he showed the attending group of what an APB can actually do. He had a procedural background, worked in CT surgery, and, and was like, I can do that. I can do that. And then started to build the team. So I do attribute where our team success is from that foundation is we had attending buy-in and we had an incredibly strong APP who educated the group about what we could do. And the team built from five when I was hired for a step-down unit that I never worked in because it just turned into an ICU, which was kind of awesome um, because this EP group showed what they could do. And then from there, we taught more people and more people and it kind of just built from there. Uh, we do have a, a bi-weekly lecture series that's tailored for our critical care uh, physician fellows anybody is welcome. And now thank you COVID. There's so many virtual options. You can do it from your pajamas if you're not working that day and, and you know, get a little bit of didactic work as well uh, in the orientation process. That's excellent. That's excellent. Can you describe what your process is, um, you know, from interview to, you know, just a, a basic framework from interview to off orientation? Yeah. So interview, we have an interview process where um, right now we have Two positions that we recruit for we recruit for full-time experienced candidate and then we have a fellowship position for a new grad fellow that we hire into yearly and hopefully 
twice a year is our, our next goal. Um, so new grad fellow is for that. And then when it's a full-time position, we try not to hire, actually don't hire any new grads into that position, but people with some sort of experience, preferably critical care. Um, they interview with myself for chair, a couple other attendings, as well as some APPs, decisions made, person is offered. And then from there, it's about 90 days before they can get into the building and credentialed and ready to work with patients. In those 90 days, uh, I encourage reading. I encourage if they haven't done critical care, if they want to know what we do, you know, send them our handbook. Um, you know, I can't force anybody, but these are the encouraged things. We've had some really motivated new hires that are like, what can I do before I get there? What should I read? What do you suggest? Um, you know, podcasts and videos, that kind of thing. If, if they haven't worked in quite a busy tertiary care facility like ours. Uh, and then when they start, day one is usually with me or one other person that uh, kind of has taken on our onboarding process. And we sit, we're extra people in the unit. We don't have patients and we just watch rounds. We talk a lot. We get, um, you know, we use Epic for our EMR. So all of your favorite templates are done that day. Workflows are talked about. Hopefully notes are taken by our newest uh, hires. So they remember what we talk about. Uh, and then in that first day, we cover a lot. We'll talk about schedule. We'll talk about team dynamics. We'll talk about uh, my expectations, call outs, all, all that kind of stuff. And then um, we bulk the days in a row. So we are shift workers. We do 13-hour shifts, three to four a week. And I most always, if, it, if the colleague can, three days in a row. It's just the best way to learn it, that continuity. So day two, you know, I level set the expectation. If I'm there, we are taking a patient or two and then build from there every week, add a patient, add a patient if they have experience. Um, and that's within the first four to six weeks in that tertiary care ICU. Then after that, we'll do a week or two at the community hospitals. Um, the workflow is the same as our tertiary care. So it's just learning that hospital. Uh, so the orientation isn't as rigorous at those, at those places. Uh, and then the orientation for the triage role is the same thing, bulked together, working with experienced people in that role to learn best practices and, and how to get around the hospital, where everything is and the politics involved with triage. And usually as people are going through orientation and, you know, that first four to six week, I can get a sense of where they are and what they may need more of. And you try to tailor it to, to fit that individual. You know, we've had people walk in and, and round immediately. No, they're just great. They can round within two seconds. They learn our workflow and, you know, only spend a week or two in the unit. So then they may do more time on the triage role to learn that faster and are up and running very quickly. Other people need a little bit more time. We are a problem-based ICU. They may come from a system-based presentation model that I've learned has takes a while to learn. So we, we extend that orientation period. But if you have experience, the expectation is in three to four months, you're up and running and another, you know, a solid person in the ICU and we'll learn some triage along the way. Very nice. Sounds like you guys have a lot of check-in, shoulder-to-shoulder work, you know, not uh, sending them out there and... and uh... I try not to. I uh, That is the scariest thing, uh, I think, for, for anybody, both for myself and trusting that they're ready to go. And I, you know, the attendings, I, this person is vetted and ready um and and to them too you know i don't want them you know having to fly before they're ready as well so we do try to support them a lot in our tertiary care campus because there's just the most people there's the most support we staff that unit at night but there's an attending in-house at that hospital so there's just that level of support that that you can't get if you're at the community hospital 
um, once people prove that they are capable, um, then we'll we'll send them out to the, the community hospitals and you know uh, encourage working at night solo or or start staffing them in that role. So, what would your advice be to organizations who maybe have not had APPs in their uh, ICU? Maybe they've worked with APPs, but they have not onboarded one in the unit. Maybe they were lucky enough to inherit someone with a lot of experience and maybe is that champion that is now encouraging them to develop an an ICU APP service. What would be your biggest recommendations of what they they need to have to make it successful? They need to have support. And and the support, honestly, you need to have attending support, attending buy-in that the APP group can do what you want them to do. If you're looking to hire an APP to be your scribe, it's probably not the best model. Um, it's it's uh, frankly a waste of, of uh, experience. It's a waste of skill set. Um, but having that attending to support the APP group uh, is huge. We have an incredibly supportive attending group who know when to rein it in and when to, to let go. And I think that has made this group as successful as it is from the five 15 years ago to the 20 we are now, um, you know, five in an eight bed unit, 20 across three hospitals. So that definitely we're hiring the right people who were motivated and having attendings that supported that taught along the way. A lot is on the job training. It's hard to, to read something in a book and, and be able to apply it to a real life patient. Um, you know, so it's, you know, bedside looking at the vent bedside, um, looking with ultrasound. Ultrasound didn't exist as much back then. Now it's a huge part of what we do. So it's it's on-the-job training. So I think that is crucial to be successful. I'd also venture to say consider um, education programs outside your organization. Things like the CHEST critical skills course that that we we developed um, in 2015. It's, it's, it's a three-day course one day with ultrasound, one day with procedures, one day with high fidelity simulation and team dynamics and building. We get a smattering of attendings, APPs, respiratory therapists, fellows, residents. It's it's an awesome course. It's a great place to get your feet wet, learn on the job, and learn uh, hands on, uh, which is awesome. Vanderbilt also does a really great boot camp for critical care. I think that's a really great course for newer APPs, consider sending them there. I think it's worth your investment. They will learn so much in such a short period of time that they can bring back to the organization and help um, build upon within the group. Yeah, the the um, hands-on courses, I think most everybody learns very well with. I've, I've been through the one of the chess programs and I can't say enough great things about it. Um, when you are measuring success, you know, for your onboarding process, what, what does that look like for you? Success for me is when I ask an attending physician, I, whose opinion I value the most, hey, how is so-and-so doing? Oh, man, they're so great. They, they are detailed. They don't get lost in the weeds. They know the right thing to ask. They may not know everything, but they're asking the right questions. They're motivated. They're friendly, the nurses love them, the patients love them. That to me is the most successful check-in. It's very easy to give that feedback, you know, mm-hmm. and and getting those over and over and seeing that person build their confidence to the point where they're, you know, I got this, I'm okay, you know, and that takes time, but that that to me is success. And then and then seeing those 
colleagues over months to years then become the person teaching is is just the ultimate for me when when you know i may have taught them however many years ago and they, or they may have learned from my other colleagues that are, that are more senior and now they're the ones i rely on to teach our newest folks it's just ultimately the 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 proudest like achievement for the group and the person i think any other pitfalls that you encounter i would uh say check in regularly um as much as i i talk about you know giving those check-ins sometimes we forget we get busy you know especially as as lead for me i i I get busy with lots of other things and i just assume things are going great um but pointedly writing in my calendar need to check in with so-and-so need to see how things are going give them feedback um sometimes i find that i give only negative feedback or areas of opportunity or growth the rock stars want to hear it too they want to hear that positive feedback I had a recent hire from last year. We were doing her yearly eval. Everything's been going great. I'm so glad you joined the team. She's like, you know, I wish I heard that last year. I wish I heard that when I first started. Because when I was, you know, three months in or two months in, you know, I just, I I didn't know. You didn't tell me as much back then. And and I think I just assumed because they're doing well that they know they're doing well. They hear from the attendings or other EPs. Because they weren't hearing negative. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I would, I would, you know, Praise the people that are doing well. Give them that feedback they want to hear. And chances are they're going to want constructive feedback as well because they're going to want to build on what they know. Um, and, and and just don't forget to do those check-ins because I do think out of the times I was not as successful, I think we just didn't have enough communication. What is your ideal staffing, you know, as far as... Um... You know, when when people are looking at creating an APP service, they're always trying to figure out what's enough, what's not enough. It's you not... know, how do we do this? Make it financially feasible? You know, all those things. Do you do you have any metrics about that or advice on that? We don't have any metrics. Just I think experience and what we do. Um, what we find that works for our team, and and I don't think that they're, you know, and and I don't want to speak for them, but I think that we have a level of a team that isn't too too burned out right now. Certainly, COVID was a lot different the number of patients we were taking care of was just out of this world um now for in the unit at our tertiary care facility we have a, a one in six ratio so um ejp up to six patients occasionally that may trend upwards to eight but i find that one in six ratio is a pretty good sweet spot um we uh, have a, we used to have a night ratio of one to 12 so that one ep was caring for 12 patients and, and I do still think, depending on the patient load, it's still manageable because we still sometimes do that. But we try to have two patients at night as, or two APs at night as well. Uh, and that's just for bouncing ideas off each other, support to the other person. You're tied up in a line that other person's available for whatever's happening with the other 11 patients. Um, sometimes at night, you're just firefighting, moving from one room to the next and having to go so fast, you don't have time to breathe or think. So I do, I do think that one in six ratio is, is that sweet spot. Um, I, I think a 24 seven model is ideal. If you can get there, it takes a lot of APPs, um, but keeping with realistic ratios, I think will help retain as you group people and want to and train them up and keep them. So we do one in four weekends. I know some critical care groups are one in three, which is a sustainable model. One in four for us has been a, a really nice sweet spot. Um, we, everyone is a day night rotator. Some people like more nights. Some people like more, um, community hospitals. We'll try to, uh, you know, make that happen to keep everyone happy and, you know, have that job satisfaction. 
but level setting the expectation. This is the expectation for the job. This is the expectation we have of our APPs. Um, we expect you to be a full-fledged provider for this group. You're not here to be a scribe. We want you to work top of license um, and supporting them as you do that, I think is is a, a great model to work towards. It's It's really the only way to get them to work at the top of their scope is to have that level of support um, and I think a lot of providers struggle with what to do with APPs, especially if they haven't come <laughs> from uh, training with APPs or maybe have not had experience with APPs. I love to use the example of the Ferrari versus the, you know, Volkswagen bug. You know, there, there's, there's APPs that are Ferraris and they're being used as a bug. And then there's bugs that are thrown into situations where they're expected to race, you know, and it's just not going to happen. Yes. Um, and I, I think I read an article once that talked about one of the top reasons why APPs leave their job um, and, and work someplace else. It's not money. It's because of performance expectations. They're either too high or too low for their knowledge set, their training, their support level. Um, and I, I know, you know, I've seen that over the years at different practices, people, um, you know, being hired, thinking they're Ferrari, but they're not, you know, and then, you know, not working out or vice versa, you know, um, not enough work for them for how highly they were trained. If you were to, um, you know, get some advice to maybe somebody coming to um, a new APP service, you know, maybe they're just mm -hmm. newly creating, because you were there in the beginning and you kind of saw mm -hmm. all the little stumbling blocks. If they were coming onto a new APP service, what kind of advice would you give them? If, it, great question. I think be open, be eager, um, show if, if you're an AP that has critical care experience and you're coming to a place where they don't know, Show them what you can do. Be be humble, but also don't be afraid to shine. Sometimes I find APs are, oh, not the doctor, I don't want to step on toes. But be confident. If you think this is right for the patient, back it up with, you know, evidence-based medicine. And, and don't be afraid to give your opinion. Um, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, you know, make friends with the nurses. Look how great mm -hmm. the AP group is, right? So I we, we started at one of our community hospitals, Um I, there was a struggle with our nursing crew who were used to fellows and didn't mm -hmm. know what APs could do. And it was one of these, you're just an AP. And and I still remember that day that mentality changed, was an incredibly ill patient who needed a lot of critical care, um, lots of lines, intubation, they coded twice, it was a very young gentleman. And I, I did all these things and communicated with the nurses and supported them. They supported me. And at the end of the day, I didn't know you could do all that. And, and it literally flipped. It was, it was like a switch and, and, and things built and got better from there. So I think, you know, it's, um, it's hard joining a group that may not know what to do or doesn't understand, but I think being patient and kind and, and supporting them in, in this journey, um, uh, it will hopefully lead to success. I think flexibility is, is one of the bigger things we, we developed an ICU team um, over COVID of all things. So trying to deal that and build a 24 hour in-house um, APP ICU service was more than a learning experience, um, almost a, you know, religious experience, you know, and it, it made the physicians work quality of life so much better. Uh, but that, that flexibility was one of the things we kept stressing because as we hire more, as we build the schedule changes, the 
um, the shifts change, you know, what the physicians want covered versus what they're going to cover themselves until you have enough APPs to do it. So um, I think, yeah, flexibility is probably a big one there. So, all right. Well, anything else? I'm so else? glad you said that. Yeah. Sorry, I was just saying, I'm so glad you said that. I, I Today alone, I texted a, a teammate of, hey, can you work this day instead of this day? And and COVID certainly brought that flexibility. We were always schedule changing. So I, and it's a really, really great point. Yeah. Yeah. Flexibility. I think in medicine, anyways, you have to be flexible, but especially when you're yeah. building a whole new service and especially with a team of physicians that maybe have not done that before or have, haven't come with a blueprint from another practice that they were at, you know, they're, they're kind of doing it from, from scratch. And we're a private practice yeah. too, which I think makes it complicated um, because we don't have the faculty support, you know, that you would see, you know, with, with a, um, a hospital uh, healthcare system setting or university setting type thing. So it's, it's definitely yeah. difficult, but I think the way things are going, you know, APPs are everywhere. And I think the ICU teams of ICU, of ICU APPs are growing and growing. It's not just a physician who has an APP or they're just outpatient, you know, type thing with their pulmonologist, you know, they're, they're getting a lot more critical care FaceTime. They're getting a lot more, um, uh, the services built, which I think is great for the profession. Yeah. And one thing I would say too, is, you know, I talked about a hundred percent AP model. The, there's the mixed resident AP model. So that's a whole separate, you know, can of worms as well. How do you integrate APs into a resident run model already or a fellow and resident run model? But I think it can be done. There are proven, uh, organizations out there that have these successful models. It's just, time, flexibility, support, yep. all the, the key buzzwords. Last question I have for you is um, how do you guys keep your APPs um, up to date? Like how, once they're oriented, they're out running around, you've got your, your system in place. How are you checking in with them to, for their procedures, for their knowledge set or that type of things? Um, usually feedback as well if someone's not doing so great i am the first person usually to know uh, so we have a very open team both ap and attending um from a up-to-date standpoint we encourage cme we encourage certain courses like the chess course we talked about even for more experienced folks um vanderbilt course other courses such as that we have reinstituted journal club where we go out after work and we talk about evidence based article, whatever came out recently that seems pertinent to us. And, you know, we do it over dinner and have a good time. And um, we have an attending who's just so well read that sends out a monthly email of hot topics and like the most five pertinent articles that came out that month that that we read. And um, we have our, our twice weekly fellow lectures where we hear up to date medicine. Um, I don't have set competencies in on all honesty. And as we're talking, I'm like, wow, that should be something we should consider. So again, ever changing, right? You know, everything yes. that you do to onboard, because you're right, you know, it, and medicine changes and it does, we yeah. need to change with it and, and, and have that expectation that our, our team is changing with it as well. I had someone come up to me at the booth at Chess this year asking if APAP had a list of competencies for the ICU. And I was like, no, but that's brilliant because all of us, I don't have it for my, yeah, I don't have it for my APPs in the ICU either. And it's something we all need, but I think a very daunting, overwhelming task to come up with. I think, um, yeah. you know, uh, that's, that's next on our list as well. So coming up something like that. 
All right. Well, Miss Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate all of your expertise of years of working uh, with integrating APPs into the ICU. And I hope to see you uh, in person at Chess this year. For sure. Kauai. Bye.